the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. He also wants to teach you, and you can, with a, we'll call it a virgin Bible, no notes, just opening the Bible, you can trust the Lord to teach you. You need a testimony? I've been reading again the 500-page biography on George Mueller, who never asked anybody for any funds, just went to the Lord about it, and now they were interviewing his associate because they wanted to know what was George really like behind the scenes. He'd be like you asking Pastor Dennis, what is Stan really like when he's not in front of crowds, all right? So they were asking him. And so one question they said is, what books does George Mueller have in his library? And they said, George Mueller has no books in his library. All he has is this Old and New Testament. He has Hebrew Bible, and he has the Greek Bible, and he opens that up, and he just lets God teach him. Now, if you will, you can go through and read the writings and the sermons of George Mueller, and it will shock most of you of how biblically accurate, doctrinally sound he was when he just relied upon the Holy Spirit. I've often said that sometimes the most accurate people in theology are those that don't go to Bible college and seminary, but really just stay clean. That's the key. Clean before the Lord with a humble spirit, asking God to teach him. Now, I'm not going to put any dispersion on Bible colleges and seminaries. I have a degree and all that. And they're important. They have its place. And I'd encourage you to go. But I want you to know the answer isn't these other places. The answer is a clean heart, a humble heart, a teachable heart with the desire to know it for the purpose of doing it, for the ultimate purpose of bringing glory to God, and it can happen. So going back to this passage, he said, you always hear me. So what's the answer? Because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, he's kind of modeling what prayer is all about, indicating who he is as the one who's praying. Let's go a little bit further now. So he gives that little bit of a truth. And then it goes on to say this, verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, when you hear me say Lazarus, come forth, that loud voice is... I don't want to shock you because it's being recorded, but it's a shout. He's like yelling, Lazarus, come forth. Now, most of you have heard this passage preached on before and you might have read some commentaries and the joke is, well, Jesus is so powerful he had a lot of people in that dead cemetery there and so he had to yell Lazarus because if he didn't use Lazarus' name, everybody come out and everybody laughs. I, I really don't believe that. Jesus could have whispered he could have not even used his name and if he wanted only Lazarus to come out Lazarus it wasn't dependent upon whether Lazarus heard him or not I really believe it was more we're talking about Lazarus I want you to know we're focusing on Lazarus and by the way Lazarus is my friend too and so he shouts out Lazarus come forth now you have to really think with me for a moment let's say you went 
to a memorial service. They had the casket here. Now they load the casket into the hearse. They take it now and they move that hearse. They, they take the casket, put it in the ground. They cover it up. They put all the flowers. And four days later, you and I, we come out there. We're going to have a graveside service now. It's all covered up, beautiful flowers. They even have the headstone ready to go. And I happen to be one to say, you know what? <clears throat> I'm sorry he died too, you know, but uh, dig him up. Lift up the lid. Now, what would you do? I mean, you could imagine why they were a little hesitant. Move the stone. Now, I don't know all what they said, but okay, if Jesus says move the stone, we might see something really big here, but I don't know if I want to look in there. I mean, who would like to lift open a can? Remember, the Jews didn't embalm the bodies. And so that means four days underground, just for a moment, think about, well, don't think any further. So now the stench, what it looked like, and Jesus says, dig them up pretty much. Remove all that stuff. You wonder, what is he going to do? What's going to happen now? How many people looked in? How many people began to maybe look away? How many kind of hid? How many covered their faces? All the confusion that was going on. And there was Jesus about ready to do a magnanimous event. Probably one of the biggest miracles he's done in scripture other than his own resurrection. So let's go a little bit further now. So they removed the stone. Lazarus come forth. The man who had died came forth. And by the way, the man who had died came forth. We already know it's Lazarus. Why would it say the man who had died came forth? I'm going to give you my opinion. It didn't say the great man, the poor sick soul came forth. It was just the man implying when God wants to do a miracle, it's not just going to be for those that have the money, have the connections, have all the things necessary or deserve to have that miracle. In most cases, he's going to do it to those who deserve it less. How do I know that? When we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us, the greatest miracle. So I want you to know it's just that man, this man. So all of you are still in a place for God to do whatever miracle he chooses, not because of you, but because of his glory. Let's go a little bit further. So he said, this man who died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's uh, describing more of a sweat band kind of thing around his face that kind of hung down, but it's kind of a band over his forehead and around his eyes. And so he said, come on out. So he's coming out now. And then Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now the only other interesting thing about that is when the Egyptians would do it, they would mummify the person, put some kind of stuff in them, and then they would wrap, 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 and multiple wraps, and a lot of spices because of the smell, and, all, and really tightly wound, and that's why you see some of the mummies that are out there. When the Jews would do this, it wasn't a mummified situation. They would just loosely wrap them up, and a lot of that would have nice ointment, because while they didn't embalm, they tried to at least preserve the, uh, or at least prevent the, uh, the stench that would be there. So, so he had a head on, his arm. So he's kind of coming out. And as he comes out, he's probably wobbling a little bit. And so what does Jesus say? He says to them, remove all of this. Now let's go back to, you do this before the miracle. You do what you can do, I'll do what I will do. After the miracle, only Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. We could never do that. And now he says, all right, now you do what you can do. Help this man loose those grave clothes. And they came off of him. And so maybe for some of you, Jesus has said, you know what, you've trusted Christ and you're coming out of your tomb of an old life, an old dead life, and you're now going to live the resurrected life. But while you want to live the resurrected life and you're coming out of that life, listen, 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 
Is it possible that you have still wrapped around you some of the world? Would there be some grave clothes around you that you need to unloosen, cut off, get rid of, forsake? Because while he's given you new life, now you want to have a new lifestyle. And I can't speak to what that is, but the Holy Spirit will. Because just like Jesus said, Lazarus, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, bringing conviction. So think about what grave clothes need to come off. If I could give you one strong suggestion, it would be this. All of them. Just all of them. Let's go a little bit further. So he said, unbind them and let them go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he had done and believed in him. I want to give you five things to take back with you. These are pretty quick. You can just jot these down. After he worked, what does this show? It shows that Jesus cares. Do you know that Jesus really cares? And if you know that he cares for your cares, then you take your care and you leave it with him. So if you're carrying a care right now, you leave it with him. Secondly, do the first thing that Jesus asks you to do. Do the very first thing that he asks you to do. Do it before the miracle. Maybe there's a miracle waiting to happen, but you've got to do your part. I don't know what that might be. Number three, pray with faith for faith. You might have enough faith to take you to the tomb, but not enough faith to believe that it could come back to life again, the body, the issue. So maybe some of you believe that God can, but maybe that God will if something else. Sometimes people say faith is not saying God can do this. Faith is saying that God will do this. And I don't mean to name it and claim it, but I do believe that we need to stretch our faith. Number four, how powerful the voice of the Lord is. Maybe for some of you, his voice is screaming to you that, hey, there's still hope left in your marriage. There is still hope left for you in your career. There is still hope left for you in your life, even though your body is breaking down with health. Maybe it's... um, Here's what you need to do next. And he's now telling you what to do and you're wrestling with whether or not you want to do it. Maybe his loud voice is, you need to make this sacrifice. Maybe you need to give it up for God. Maybe it is to go on a mission trip. Maybe it is to unload some of the stuff you're hoarding so it could be turned into something for God's work. Maybe it's a new work he wants to do in your life and he's yelling at you, I want to do a new work. I want to get you ready for the next stage of your life. So it's a powerful voice. It doesn't have to scream loudly. You just have to listen for it. And the best place to listen for it is just get into the Word and the Spirit of God will speak to you. And then number five, you need to respond in practical ways. We talked about getting rid of the linen. So just look at some practical areas. Well, we get into the transition here because we go to number five because Jesus walks away from all of this. And let's see what happens. Verse 47. Well, let's go back to verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he had done and believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things what Jesus had done. If you want to, you could look. There's a, there's a continual process through these chapters where many believed, but some did not. Many believed, but some did not. You see this all through here. Look in verse 37. Well, verse 36 is, See how they loved him, some Jews said, but some said, Could not this man have done blah, 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 blah. So some did, some didn't. You know what that tells me? That tells me that some of you are listening to this message and then some of you are going to criticize it the rest of the day. Some of you will follow Christ and some of you will say, but not yet. Some of you will listen and some of you will say, I still need to hear more. I don't know where you are on this, but even in his crowd, doing the greatest work that Christ could do, some believed, some didn't. 
goes a little bit further now, verse 47. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they convened a council, which would be the Sanhedrin. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go, well, on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place, which would be the temple, and our nation, which would be the people. Now look up here for a second. You've got to catch what's happening. You've got the Sanhedrin is this council of 71. Out of the Sanhedrin, one is the chief priest, which is Caiaphas, however you want to pronounce it. In that, there are two bodies in this Sanhedrin, two bodies of people. One would be the Sadducees and one would be the Pharisees. Stay with me. This is important because you'll need this throughout the rest of our study. The Pharisees were more of your religiously minded keepers of the gate. Your Sadducees would be more a little bit more political activists. All right. Then you'd see the the Pharisees were the ones who were more of your purists for the Jewish people. The Sadducees were more of your activists to compromise and kind of be more like what the world would believe. The Pharisees believed the Bible and miracles and the resurrection of people. The Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible, didn't believe in miracles or angels. They didn't see all of that kind of stuff, so they had a different view of it. Both of them were in the same camp underneath the Sanhedrin. But watch this. Even though those two groups... The Sadducees and the Pharisees were diametrically opposed to one another. Some were more wealthy, one group, one was less wealthy. They were so opposite from one another. But one thing they could agree on, they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Now, do you see the phrase that says, hey, look, he keeps doing these signs right here. We need to get rid of him. If you and I were looking at it on the outside, we'd say, what's wrong with the sign? He brought this guy back from the dead. Hey, I wouldn't want to have him hanging around. Hey, I hope he heals my family if they're sick. I hope he raises my dad who's died. We would want that. That wasn't the problem, wasn't the signs he was doing. The problem was he was doing these signs to validate that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was God, and this was like throwing sand into their emotional, mental, and religious gears. They didn't want that part. Oh, the miracles are okay. Just don't tell anybody why you're doing them. Just be the healer, the little faith healer kind of thing. That was the real issue. So now they're saying, what are we going to do with him? If we don't get rid of this guy right here and somehow, the Romans are going to take over. Now, what was the problem? The Jews had a great presence in Jerusalem and in that area, but the Romans were still king of the hill over them. But the Romans allowed them to do pretty much what they wanted. But they were afraid of Jesus, who's the Messiah, and he does all of this stuff, he'll have a huge following, and he could create a revolution. If there's a revolution, no matter how strong we Jews are, we can't fight the whole Roman Empire. It'll be all this junk raining down on us. So we really want to kind of watch out what Jesus is doing because he's the, the potential rabble-rouser. So, we want to make sure that we can kind of keep peace in the family. So, how can we keep Jesus from doing this? Well, somebody has an answer. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, very rude, he says, You know nothing, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man dies for the people and that the whole nation not perish. In other words, if we kill Christ, all this kind of quiets down and we can go on business as usual. If we don't and we allow Christ to continue, what's going to happen then? Rome will come into this thing and the whole nation will be gone. It's kind of like in government. They make this issue, it's either this way or that way and there's nothing in between. And so he came up with that idea. The only tragic part about it is that Jesus did die And the nation still was destroyed in 70 AD with masses amount of Jews dying. Let's go on a little bit further now. Caiaphas is saying more, but at this particular time, it's more of a commentary from John. Because now John tells us what else is going on. Caiaphas just said that. Now, Caiaphas did not say this on his own initiative. In other words, he was saying it on his own, but something else was kind of getting him to, to, to make these kinds of statements. 
But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And that's the key. Jesus was having him say an unknown prophecy about Jesus. That true, Jesus is going to die, just like he said. And he's going to die for the nations. But not just die so that Israel can go on. But no, he's going to die for the nation in the sense he's going to die and pay for sin. Because John is writing this and he knew that that was the main message of Jesus. And not for the nation only of the Jews, and I love this, but in order that he might also gather together into one, which then would be future, the church, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So all those are going to be brought together who believe in Christ is implied. And that's what Jesus said he was going to do. But Caiaphas is making these statements. And he thinks it's going to be one way, just political, social. But he's really making a spiritual statement for all eternity. Verse 53. Mark it. So from that day on, that group planned together to kill him. So the two opposing forces, Sadducees and Pharisees, came together as the Sanhedrin and began to plot a way to bring the death of Christ. So what happens to Jesus? Well, he walks away. Jesus then no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews. Now, he wasn't afraid of dying right then because he can conquer death if he died by their hands early before the cross. We knew that wasn't going to happen. So he was not with them because the timing wasn't right yet. So he went away from there to the country near the wilderness in the city called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples, and he did a lot of teaching. He's coming into the Passion Week now. Now the Passover of the Jews were near, was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And some were asking and seeking for Jesus. Is he going to come now? What's going to happen now? In verse 57, it ends with this. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, was to report it so they might seize him. Well, folks, it's time to bring this message to a close. There's not a lot in that end other than let you know that there is a storm brewing. You can see the black clouds on the horizon. And if you look very carefully, you can see some of the lightning bolts and hear some of the thunder. We have one more chapter and we're going to really begin entering into that Passion Week to see what happens to Christ. And yet notice, Christ is not wringing his hands. He knows everything that's happening. And I'd like to close with this. Remember, Lazarus's truly remarkable story of a miracle of his being resurrected. But it's far more than that. It's a testimony that Jesus waited before he did the miracle because there was a purpose behind it, like there's a purpose in waiting to do something for you. He does go at the proper time, and in the proper time, he will go, or in this sense, he will touch you where you need to be touched in his timing. Just be ready for it. When that happens, when he went, he's also going to weep because he cares for you. However that you're going through right now, even if you have sinned, it still says he grieves over it. Doesn't mean he condones it. Doesn't mean you wanna, he wants you to continue in it. He knows that as long as you continue to do this, number one, you have broken fellowship with him. If you're a Christian, you haven't lost your salvation, but it does mean you have lost your intimacy and essentially the power that's available to you. So he's grieving over that broken relationship and ultimately the consequence that's going to be coming down on you. So he's weeping over that. Maybe it's not a sin. You're just hurting because life just beats you up. He's permitted it or prescribed it. He still hurts for you. But then he also rolls up his sleeves and he gets to work. Some miracles are an instant miracle. Some miracles are instant but they're so close together, it looks like many miracles that are happening are one miracle that's going to be a long miracle. But I want you to know that the Lord is invested in every minute, every moment, every second of your life. He is large and in charge. So when you go through a trouble, whatever it might be, my suggestion would be, first of all, ask yourself, 
Have I done some sin? Am I getting judged right now? Discipline. I'm in condemned. Is God dealing with my life right now? So he could bring out more holiness. And then if you don't find that in your life, then you can see that God is still bringing out grace and truth. And then finally, in this case, he walked away. But we also know that when you trust Christ as Savior, Jesus never walks away. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. So the Lord is always there. Watch this. You may times feel like he's moved but he's never moved he's always right there he is near and dear while being large and in charge let's pray shall we with every head bowed and every eye closed there's a lot in this passage but there's enough there to know that he has power over life and death And whether it's your spiritual life and death, he has power to give you eternal life. And you can have that eternal life because he's the one who conquered it. He showed how to do it in the physical world with Lazarus. And then he did it with himself to show in the spiritual world. Even though you die, you will live again. Lazarus did die again. And by faith alone in Christ, there's eternal life available. I hope you trust Christ as your Savior. I plead with you to do that. He's the resurrection and the life. There were Jews that did believe. There were Jews that didn't. If you believe, there's positive benefits. If you don't, unfortunately, there are negative consequences. So if you want to, it's not something you do yourself. You just admit to him, I'm a sinner. I know I can't do any good deeds to get to heaven. I know if I'm trying to be good, I'm going to be perfect, but I'm not. I'm a sinner. I'd like to be good, but I'll never be as good as God. And Jesus says, I love you. And he says, I'm going to die on the cross for you. And he rose again from the dead. And he says, no good deed you do yourself. But if you believe, you will have everlasting life. And the believing needs an object. And that object is only Jesus Christ. And believing simply means to trust or depend. And it's not believing plus something to have eternal life. It's just believing in Christ. And if you do that, even though you die, you will live. Perhaps today is the day that this message was brought to you where you are now ready to step over that line and place your faith alone in Christ. Let me warn you, if you don't, you're in a precarious situation. But if you do, right now you have eternal life. Not when you die, you get it right now. Now in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to know that no deed you do nor my prayer will get you into heaven. But I'd like to welcome you into God's family because when you trust Christ, you're born again. You're part of the community of the eternally redeemed. Would there be anyone in here today that is now ready to say, yes, I am a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. But the best I know how, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. If you do that, I'd like to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand doesn't save you. Filling out a card doesn't save you. Walking an aisle doesn't do it. But in your own heart and mind, when you trust Christ, rely on Him, that gives you eternal life. And me praying for you is just a way to say, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here in God's forever family. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, is there anyone in here today that would like to let me know silently without standing up or saying a word that today you're trusting Christ? Today is the day. Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all that'd like to let me know? Quietly, anyone. Okay, Christians, this is a wonderful message on the glory of God. Do you see it? God's glory is in this. 
Maybe it's time for you to go back over this message again and see what it might be to help you live that resurrected life. We're going to prepare for communion with heads bowed and eyes closed. This is an open communion for all those who know Christ as their Savior. Our leadership team is going to come and serve you because they love you and they want you to have the elements brought to you and make it easy and comfortable. But it's also a time for you to be alone with the Lord in your mind. And if you're a Christian, this is something you do to remember the Lord's death until he comes to make sure you're in a right relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ and perhaps all others. And that you're doing it in a way to let him know that you believe that there is that resurrected life that he's now going to live out through you. And you love him for it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for your word. We thank you that while you walked those dusty paths of Israel and the streets of Jerusalem and other places there, that, Father, you also are alive and well, and that, Father, even right now, you're communicating to us through your Holy Spirit and your word. And now, Lord, just as if we were there, we are here, and you are here with us, speaking to us the truths that we need for our life. And so, Lord, we want to listen to your voice now whether it's a voice to encourage us, to comfort us, to direct us, to teach us, to correct us, whatever it might be, Lord, that when we leave here today, we're going to say, Lord, I'm so glad that I had a wake-up call. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts now for this communion, we're communing with you, our Savior and our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.